All right, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you and to be seen by you. For those who don't know, my name's Ephraim, and I'm one of the elders here at Ecclesia. It's a, a privilege and um, a real responsibility to be sharing the word with you today, um, and yet a real blessing. And last week, if you were here, if not, you can catch it on the um, podcast on sermon.net. Um, or on our new website, which has been released as well. Praise God. Um, We looked a little at just what it is to be in the new year with New Year's resolutions and to have aspirations and to consider just the reality of looking for a new us in this new year. Um, And so kind of just began to consider that and God's plan and purpose in actually fulfilling his promise of a new us. And, you know, my challenge was, to what extent do we really appreciate the person of the Holy Spirit who God has promised to us as the the one who brings about change in us, who brings about transformation in us? Galatians 3, 13 to 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so as part of our um, salvation experience As part of the package that salvation is, fundamental to that is that we as God's people would receive receive the promise of the Spirit and all that that means. And we'll look in a minute on, on how Paul goes on to elaborate on that. For us as individuals, as we get to the new year, We have aspirations, desires, reflections for ourselves. To what extent does that extend to us considering our place within the body of Christ? First and foremost, within the context of that, the local church, the local church fellowship. But then also beyond that. To what extent do we think not just me, but we? To what extent do we pray for not just ourselves, but for all of us as ourselves? To what extent do we expect God to work not just in our lives personally, but in our lives corporately? This is one of the amazing things that we see as it relates to the promise of the Spirit. And... Often we can have great aspirations for a new year for ourselves and then feel as though, well, all it takes is somebody else to come and sour the grapes, to come and put the fly in the ointment, to to distress the program. What can I do about that? And so my consideration today is that as we consider this new year and God doing the new work, that we would have 
not only our focus firmly fixed on a corporate reality of that, collectively that God would do that, but that we'd also be filled with hope and faith that God is faithful and true to his word and he will do what he said he will do. Let's pray as we get ready to look at this further. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the fact that you are faithful even when we're not. You are committed. You are resolute in your pursuit of your glory. And that's not even egotistical. You are God. That's just the reality. And you are glorious. And Lord, you have seen fit to share your glory with those that you have made, your creation. And Lord, what a privilege and what an awesome expectation that is. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have our minds synchronized with yours and our thoughts and our aspirations lined up with yours. And that, Lord, we would be so strengthened and so encouraged that, Lord, we would walk daily in a great expectation of you fulfilling your word among us. And so we give ourselves to you in this time and ask that, Lord, you would show yourself strong by your glory. Amen. So today we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. I'm telling you that from the outset. Today is going to be somewhat of a Bible study. I'm kind of taking it old school. This is how we used to do it back in the day. We just used to plumb verses, drill down, and look at the text. At the end of the day, if we have any thoughts about God, if we have any thoughts about ourselves as it relates to our relationship with God, then it has to be based on the word, right? If it's not based on the word, then it's not credible. Furthermore, if it's not based on the word, it's not true. And so, as we're getting into the new year, I'm going to encourage you and invite you to journey with me as we consider the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we've been looking at Galatians, and for those of you who um, are kind of jumping in at this point, we spent the first week of the year just in prayer and fasting and just meditating on the book of Galatians and reading and praying through it. And the Lord's really challenged me and been speaking to me through it. And I feel the same as for those of us who have who've been going through that. And um, in the book of Galatians, what we see is some contrast repeatedly throughout the book. We see the contrast of law versus grace. So people want to please God and they feel that the way to do that is to do good things whether that's to keep the law of Moses or to keep their own standards of morality, and God will be pleased with that. But Galatians contrasts this with actually right standing with God, coming not through our efforts and our law keeping, but by the grace of God that results from Jesus having kept the law for us in our place as our substitute. So Jesus has kept the law on our behalf 
and has credited to us his righteousness graciously as a gift through faith. And so then we see, actually, it's not about works, but it's about faith in what God has done and given by grace through Christ. Amen? Therefore, there's a contrast between slavery and sonship. Slavery, drudgery, toiling, working, grinding, grafting, trying to keep the law, trying to do good works, trying to be right with God, never getting there, never feeling accomplished, never feeling justified. It's, it's, that's, a, that's bondage. Versus sonship. So you have received the Lord's name. And you have been adopted into the family by his grace. And now you, both male and female, have the status of that of the son. The firstborn son, Jesus being the firstborn of many brethren. And we receive his name. And we receive the the status of sonship in Christ. And so therefore we are delivered from the curse and receive an inheritance. Trying to keep the law, you can't keep it all. If you fail in one point, you've broken them all. He who does not keep all the law is cursed. And yet Jesus who kept the whole law was cursed for us taking our curse upon himself because cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And so even though he wasn't cursed by breaking the law, fulfilling the law to the uttermost, he was then killed as one who was lawless because our sins were credited to him. And as a result, we go from being Cursed to being inheritors. And there's this strong theme in Galatians as it relates to sonship and inheritance. And the result of that is we receive the spirit of the Lord who so transforms our lives that we no longer walk in the ways of the flesh, which are... Um, actions and attitudes and ideologies that are merely earthly and not of divine origin. And we become fruitful as those who bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so this is what we see progress through Galatians and there's a a real sense that <coughs> as believers in Jesus Christ, a person is meant to be living a grace-filled, faith-fueled, Holy Spirit-empowered freedom. A freedom from the obligation to the law, a freedom from the curse of the law, a freedom even from sin, being enslaved, enslaved to sin itself. And so, Paul's dealing with the Galatians and he's saying, look, you guys want to receive Jesus, embrace the gospel, and then 
Make yourselves feel better by going back and doing the works of the law. And he's like, that doesn't make sense. That's foolishness. And he calls them fools on a few occasions. Like, that's not very busy. He speaks by the spirit of the Lord. These things are serious. And sometimes you've got to just call a spade a spade. And when something is foolish, it's foolish. Paul says to them, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so here, as in verse 5, the apostle Paul, he says here, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's contrasting, look, when you were dead and in your sin and you came to Christ and you experienced the transforming work of the spirit, was that as a result of keeping the law? And so he evidences God's work in them by drawing attention to the Holy Spirit who is present in them and at work among them. Now this posed a real challenge for me as I read that. Because in the circles that I move in, as far as Christian circles are concerned, these days, not always, these days, the notion that somebody's relationship with God would be validated by the expressed work of the Holy Spirit is kind of problematic on the, on the face of it. Especially when Paul starts talking about doing works and miracles. Now, I used to be in an environment where that was seen as the validating mark of a believer. So it started with, and you're a Christian. You speak in tongues. Now, this is the church that I grew up in. Uh, and especially back in the early days, things have changed there now, by God's grace. But you're a Christian. Do you speak in tongues? Well, if you don't speak in tongues, brother, I, I don't know if you're a Christian. And so there was this kind of sense of if you weren't, if you hadn't experienced the Holy Spirit in a way where you were speaking in tongues, you were left feeling like a second class Christian, like you were inferior, like you weren't quite complete that there was something essential missing in your Christian life. Because in those days, they held the belief that the, the, the receiving of baptism of the Holy Spirit was evidenced by speaking in tongues. So if you haven't spoken in tongues, then have you really received the Holy Spirit? And by default, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, then are you really saved? mad confusing especially when we look at the scriptures 
as we're going to today. But nonetheless, we see the Apostle Paul here with the Galatians refer to God's work among them by his spirit. Now, I'm grateful for the fact that we've, and I say we, myself, Pastor Rob, and others of us who have come from that background um, have experienced a more balanced view and a more balanced experience when it comes to what does it mean to be in relationship with God the Spirit and to have him work among us. Back in the day, the sensational is what was promoted as what ought to be normal. You know, walking up and down, speaking in tongues, um, or having healing crusades, and just having long lines of people line up, and you're just praying for them one by one, or people falling over even at those times, and so on. And that was presented as that which is meant to be the norm. Even though when you look at the book of Acts, we see the book of Acts spans decades. And the miracles and the signs and wonders were not happening every day in the book of Acts. But that's the mentality that we had. And then I appreciate that on the other, an, other end of the spectrum, are those, there are those who say, no, all of that is not of God. In fact, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit has ceased today. And, and there, there are no gifts and no displays of power. And there are no, all of those things have come and been fulfilled and therefore no longer apply to us. And I'm looking at my Bible and I'm like, you need to do some work to actually qualify that as being true. And with all the work that's being done, I'm not being convinced. Because it feels like there's some gymnastics going on with the text. You're stretching it and bending it certain ways that it's not meant to be handled. And so I didn't feel confident or comfortable to go to that extreme but then found myself in some place where I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is present and at work among us. And I accept that is very often in, in implicit ways or not overt ways. Ways that might be subtle and low key. And so we stand up to share God's word. And as we're sharing, we say things that speak directly to people. And you're sitting there thinking, whoa, I wonder if somebody told Pastor E about that situation that I'm dealing with. Why is he talking my business? When no such thing has occurred, no one's said anything to us. And we're just speaking that which God gives us. And you get that sense of God connecting the truth in the moment to you and your situation. That is God at work. That is God's spirit at work. In fact... That would be a more healthy view of what we understand to be prophecy. And yet at the same time, I feel as though in trying to find my way, and I say that openly and honestly, as it relates to the things of the Spirit, who, how the Holy Spirit works among us as his people, I've, I've had a deep sense of late of 
discontentment. That's probably the best way to put it. A dissatisfaction. Feeling that the scriptures challenge us to consider more and expect more. Now, what I share is constitutes a journey. A journey that I'm on and a journey that I feel that we need to take together as God's people. It can be so easy to say, this is too hard. This is too complicated. This is too risky. So you know what? Let's just put it on the top shelf. You know like those things you've got on the top shelf in your kitchen and you just, you only trouble them once in a while if you have to. Just put it on the top shelf, leave it there and just get on with life. To the point where in principle, I believe, but in practice, I'm, 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 it's like I'm an atheist. I couldn't remain content with that. And so, let's journey together. All right. So you get into Galatians, and by Galatians 5.16... Paul says this, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this directly denotes that believers are to have an experience of the Holy Spirit in our relationship with him that is transformative. Amen? If we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh, our merely earthly impulses and ideas. Now, that's a tremendous promise, but it is also as much a tremendous challenge. Because you're like, okay, walk in the Spirit. What does that even mean? What does that look like? Can I even do that? Paul reiterates the same thing just at the end of the chapter. If we live by the Spirit, if the Spirit has made us alive... Let us also walk by the Spirit. And in both of those statements, there is a, an, an instruction to be followed. It's not as if, well, we're just going to be carried along by the wind of the Spirit. And he's going to control us like robots. And we're just going to do everything that God wants because the Holy Spirit is present and in us as believers. But no, the instruction is to us to walk by the Spirit. And so there is a uniting of our will with the will of the Spirit and the person of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit. Now, how can we do that if we don't even understand who he is and how he functions? So, <coughs> let's take some time to consider over this next couple few weeks notice I didn't commit myself there yeah um it's important that we take our time we give consideration we're prayerful um that we're not aggressively dogmatic in our convictions first Corinthians 13 says we now see through a glass dimly we're all here grasping trying to understand God and his revelation that he's given us, relying on his Holy Spirit to help illuminate to us 
uh, our understanding of these things. But there is no one person and there is no one church that holds the complete and total revelation of God in its full understanding. And so we have to be open to one another. We have to be open to learn from one another. We have to be open to listen to one another, even those that we disagree with. Otherwise, we walk in arrogance and we walk in pride. I think it was um, Martin Luther who said, even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> and so we have to be open. So as we consider and begin our consideration today of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, there is a tremendous promise um, to us and for us that is embodied in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, I, I mentioned um, last week that when we speak about the Holy Spirit, we are speaking about he who is God. And it's really important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God. He is the, the, unem, the unembodied presence of God personally with us. He is not a force. He is not merely an energy. He is not merely power, but he is a person. And as a person, he is God. Just as much God as Jesus, the Son, and God the Father. Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that I might actually um, get some of you guys to help me with this. Because like I said, we're going to be looking at a number of verses. So... Um, verse references are from the ESV, and um, if you're able to, and you're able to see it on the screen, or if not, if you have the ESV in hand, I'm going to ask for some volunteers to help read these verses out for us. So I wonder if there's somebody who would just read these two verses out for us, um, from the screen or otherwise. Thank you very much, Lisa. But to who? All right. So we see in verse 3, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? We see in verse 4, you have not lied to men but to God. So the Holy Spirit directly is being stated and declared as being God. Yeah? Now, we won't get into what the Bible teaches about the Trinity, except again to reaffirm what I mentioned last week. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They are one being, but three distinctly different persons. And this, these are truths that have been ratified throughout the church of ages, at various councils, where heresy came to, to contradict the scriptures and present different views of God. So one of the different views of God is um, known as Unitarianism um, or sometimes um, oneness theology or 
the, uh, the Pentecostal apostolic church movement and others that hold the view that fundamentally the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same person. And they just reveal themselves differently or the, that one person reveals himself differently at different times in history. That is not what we see in the Bible. Um, I call your attention, I don't have the reference, to Jesus' baptism. And as he came out of the water, there was a voice from heaven. And it wasn't Jesus being a ventriloquist. There was a voice from heaven booming. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then what? The Holy Spirit is said to have descended as a dove upon him. And so in that moment, we see the unified and yet distinct operation of the different members of the Godhead at the same time. Amen? Amen. So we recognize that the Holy Spirit is God. Amen. Thank you. Now, we saw a reference to it in our verse in Galatians 3, 15. Um, but we also see throughout Scripture that the Holy Spirit is he who was promised by God. And so this isn't just some new occurrence that all of a sudden happens. And whoa, all of a sudden the Scripture's talking about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Like, where did he come from? What's that all about? That was quite unexpected. No, not at all. Ezekiel 37, 13, 14. Um, would somebody like to read that for us? Thank you, Karen. Amen. Thank you, my sister. The Lord said, I have spoken and I will do it. Um, how many of you guys, rem um, you, you guys ain't going to know this, but what was it? Um, the King and I. <laughs> Classic. Come on now. <laughs> what was my man's name who, who played... It was your brinner. So let it be written, so let it be done. <laughs> this is one of those moments. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. So let it be written, so let it be done. <laughs> Declares the Lord. And what is he saying? He's saying, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Now, as you look at these um, references and I encourage you to take note of them or go back and listen to it on the recording. I encourage you to go and look at the context. <coughs> we don't have time to explore it. This is where Ezekiel has a vision of a valley of dead bones. And God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel wisely says, Lord, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's like a graveyard, an open graveyard of just bones, skeletons. He's like, Lord, you know. And then this is God communicating that he will give life to the dead, which fundamentally is what he has done by his spirit for all of us. We'll come on to that. Dead in our trespasses and sins. But he has made us alive together in Christ. John 14, 15 to 17. This is... 
the words of Jesus here, speaking to his disciples. Um, somebody like to read that out, please? Amen. Thank you very much. So Jesus is saying, look, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, even the spirit of truth. The world can't receive. They don't see nor know. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And you see, the scripture tells us that Jesus himself had the Holy Spirit without measure. And so therefore, when even he's saying, you know him, and they might be thinking, well, how do we know him? As they've seen Jesus, they've seen the Holy Spirit. They're able to understand the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he's like. Because Jesus was the physical personification of all the qualities and virtues of the Holy Spirit. Even demonstrating and displaying his power. And so, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Look at the promise there. Um, Luke 24, 46 to 49. Um, somebody like to read that from thus it is written. So as Jesus is on the road to the Emmaus and he's speaking with the disciples and then he, he states here that he is going to send the promise of the Father upon them and that they are to stay in Jerusalem until they are clothed with power from on high. So this significant milestone moment in, the, in redemption history was about to take place at the fulfillment of God's promise according to the words of Jesus. Acts 1 verse 8. Amen. And so Jesus is describing the result of their waiting will be that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. It's interesting that that word um, witnesses says, you will be my witnesses, is the word in Greek for martyr. And so the, 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 the call to preach the gospel was a call to death. Now, that sounds gruesome and grim, and, but you know, the call to follow Jesus is a call to death. And so once you've already resigned yourself to death, whether it comes sooner or later, you embrace it. Because in your heart, you've already resigned yourself to having been crucified with Christ. Your life not being your own. And yet, look at the blessing and the beauty. It's not in our own ability, the, our own strength of conviction, our own determination or intention, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. His enabling, his strengthening. His empowerment enables us to be witnesses. And Acts 2, 32 and 33. Thank you. And so look, this is after the fact. This is after the Holy Spirit has poured out. After the people in Jerusalem witnessed the disciples pouring out of the upper room, speaking in other languages that they had not learned. 
wondering what kind of commotion and madness is this? Are they drunk? These guys are out here babbling because those who didn't understand the languages that they were hearing thought that they were just talking gibberish. But then there were those who understood them in their languages and but like, hold on a second. This one's speaking Greek and this one's speaking Turkish and this one's speaking whatever the languages were. And so they appreciated that this was some kind of phenomenon because these individuals were not speaking by their own ability. But all of a sudden, they've burst out onto the streets of Jerusalem speaking the, the, the praises and glory of God in languages that they've not learned. This phenomenon... Phen yeah. Isn't it? Phenomenum. Thank you very much for your phenomenum. <laughs> this was a phenomenon, a spectacle. Got there. It was, a, a, it was a a notable and significant occurrence. And then Peter affirms that actually, this is. That which was promised from the Father. The promise of the Holy Spirit. And so we see God made the promise and is faithful to keep his promise. <coughs> Having kept his promise, we can have confidence that his word is true. His promise is real and is available to all who will believe. Now, why is it so significant and why is it so necessary that we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit as we receive Christ? Um, Jesus said this in John 3, verses 3 to 8. Very familiar text. Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus being a teacher of Israel. Somebody like to read this for us. Thank you very much. So Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And he challenges him. Nicodemus is like, this, all this talk about being born again. I mean, how does that work? And Jesus is like, you're the head teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. You, you, you don't, I mean, you know the prophecies, right? You, you, you know Ezekiel and the, the, the several times he makes reference to this and the vision of the, the dead bones and, the, and this, this is all the backstory that Nicodemus should have been drawing on. And yet, Jesus says, look, don't think it's strange or marvelous. It is, it is necessary that someone be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 3. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's reminiscent of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 saying, the natural man does not understand the things of God. I mean... See, you, did you see that? Did you see that? See what? Can't see nothing. Looks normal to me. Because you have somebody who's been spiritually made alive, recognizing God at work, 
when somebody who's dead in their sin can't see it. Don't be surprised. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, even at work. Verse 5. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, people have had different views on what's this business about water and the spirit? Does that mean that you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Um, or is there, like, what, what does that mean? Context is everything. Nicodemus says, can a person be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Notice the natural focus there. Jesus says, someone has to be born of water and spirit to enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So Jesus is directly responding to Nicodemus's query. The reference to water is more um, consistently and credibly referring to the breaking of a, of a woman's waters just prior to you know, indicating that labor started. And so with all these babies, that's going to be very familiar to uh, a lot of our folk here. And so that, that amniotic fluid being poured forth indicates that the birth process is now in transition. I think that's what they call that stage, if I remember rightly. And so in regard to that, Someone has to be born naturally, but that natural birth is not enough. Born of water, amniotic fluid, that's natural birth. But they must also be born of the spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. Hence, that which is born of flesh, parallel to water, parallel to can someone old go back in the mother's womb? Versus that which is born of spirit. And so here we see Jesus communicating the fundamental principle of what it is to be regenerated, to be made new by the spirit of God. That sense of the Lord coming in and making us alive. Now, the scripture says more on this. And there's not enough time to unpack it all. But one of the things we appreciate is that because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, it took the energizing power of God's word in the hand of the Holy Spirit to bring us alive to the point of faith. At which time... We believed on the Lord, experiencing the regenerating work of God being complete. Which comes first, faith or regeneration? Regeneration or faith? Well, the reality is that we need regeneration in order to have faith. Because we were dead. A dead person. Who's hungry? You don't expect a dead person to put their hand up. Who wants food? No. A dead person is dead, can do nothing for themselves. And so God works um, 
Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. And hearing, the ability to hear, how do dead people even hear? Hearing by the word of God. God opened our deaf, dead ears with the gospel. And by means of that gospel, in the hands of the spirit, faith came alive in us. And so this is all associated with that process of regeneration. Now, maybe I'll have to make this the last point. When we consider regeneration, there's this moment, there's this experience in the life of the disciples that leave a lot of people wondering what is going on in this moment. So in John 20, 21 and 22, we see Jesus with the disciples on the beach. And he's appeared to them, he's met them, which is probably a more accurate way to reflect what happened. He didn't just appear like a ghost, but he met them there on the beach. They saw him and he ate with them and he spoke with them. And then this happens. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is before they've gone to Jerusalem. And this is before they've had mighty rushing wind and fiery tongues over their heads and speaking in different languages. And so what is it that's happening here? And how do we view it as it relates to our experience? Fundamentally, we appreciate that as the disciples were walking with Jesus, they were still under the law, still under the old covenant. Jesus was keeping the, 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 the commands of the law. They were following him as his disciples. They were learning of him. And yet there are numerous times where we see the disciples didn't even understand what Jesus was saying. I must go up to Jerusalem and be killed. And then on the third day, I'll rise again. Huh? Fret not. Where I go, you know. Where are you going? We don't know where you're going. I mean, there's this multiple moments in the life of the disciples where they showed that they didn't really quite get it. In fact, it wasn't until after his death and resurrection, Jesus having fulfilled the old covenant, making the new covenant real, tangible and available, that actually they got it. And so this is the point at which Jesus meets them. He's been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. And now he is breathing on them the Holy Spirit as a regenerative experience. So this was the point when they were born again, some would say. This is the point when they were transformed from just normal natural guys to those who were made new by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, as they go into Jerusalem, they've been made new. And they are awaiting the promise 
of the baptism with the Spirit in order that they might receive power. Now, that's a whole other conversation we're going to have next week. Because there are lots of people, like I say, who feel, okay, once you've become a Christian, you need to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. If you're not speaking in tongues, you're not a Christian. Um, have you received the baptism with the Holy Spirit when you were converted and professed faith? Or is that something that you've still got to be seeking in your life? All of those questions we're going to answer next time. <laughs> Trying to leave you on a cliffhanger. But the important thing is that we're able to see at this stage, God is true to his word. And his, he is unbelievably, almost, generous and gracious in that he would allow us as his creation to participate in receiving his spirit and walking with him in such a real and personal way. God fulfilled the promise. And that promise was that God would give himself to his people. God dwelling in these earthen human vessels. If you're somebody who's a Christian today, do you consider consciously the reality of the fact that God lives in you by his spirit? What difference does that make to your life? In what ways have you learned to appreciate and walk in and Make the most of the experience of God's spirit living in you? Or is it something that we take for granted? That we easily forget and overlook? Somebody once said it is impossible to live the Christian life. And anyone who has any understanding whatsoever would say amen. Because it is, it's impossible for us to do it ourselves. That is why we need to be born again and have God's spirit living in us. And yet there's more. There's more to God's work in us as his people. And we'll explore that next week. Um, please stand with me. I'm going to ask the team to come back. Uh, 
Life is full of cliches. A promise is a comfort to a fool. Not when God makes it. When God makes that promise, we can stake our life on it. God is so good and so faithful that he has fulfilled the promise of giving his spirit. Who dwells in those believe those who believe as helper, strengthener, empowerer. As you're going through struggles in your life, as you're dealing with issues of the flesh, know that God has faithfully provided his spirit. But you are called to walk by the spirit. And that requires us to believe. It requires us to have faith. To trust that God is faithful. God is true. And he has done what he said. And you may not understand it all. But that's not what faith requires. Faith isn't based on complete knowledge. Once I understand everything, then I can trust. It's not about knowing information. It's about knowing God. Because that is where our trust is. Our trust is in God. Our trust is in Jesus. The Bible tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and in me. And so I challenge you today, forget what you heard. There's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of all kinds of doctrines and teachings and ideologies and ideas. Let's wrestle with the text and put our faith, put our trust in Jesus. If nothing else, we know that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. How did that happen? The Spirit of God raised him from the dead, the Bible tells us. And that same Spirit dwells in us. And so that freedom from slavery to legalistic observance and that freedom from slavery to sin and it's, it's ours, not by our own efforts and endeavors, but because the Spirit is present. And if you're not a Christian today, you do not have God's Spirit in you. But you need to. God invites you to come and receive the promise of the ages. The promise of his spirit living in you, making you, you new, enabling you to overcome those weaknesses and flaws that even cause you to be disgusted at yourself. You're able to know forgiveness first and foremost and only because Jesus Christ died in your place and he 
received, he took upon himself the punishment for your sin so that you could receive the promise of the Father. And the assurance of this is that God raised him from the dead. And this is a fact of history. And so don't delay. Don't dilly-dally. Don't mess about. There's such a tremendous promise waiting to be fulfilled in your life. If you would simply take God at his word. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us all as we wrestle with what this means. And as we seek to work it out in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to appreciate the precious gift of your spirit who you have caused to live in those who believe. Thank you, Lord, because those of us who believe, Lord, we know that we need you. And we're so grateful for your commitment to us, not to just love us and leave us alone, but to love us enough to even make yourself most intimate with us. That you'd come into our hearts, into our beings, make us new and live with us, walk with us each day. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would help us. We pray that, Lord, you would transform us. Lord, we pray that you would teach us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.